millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode of the Self Love Club podcast is brought to you by Breast Cancer Foundation NZ. Breast cancer is most treatable when found early. Know the signs, know your normal. The Self Love Club, a place where boss babes share their stories to empower women. Welcome to the Self Love Club podcast. I'm your host, Belle Crawford. Sarah Gandhi is a New Zealand broadcaster spending 18 years in radio. You may know her and her voice from her time at ZM and The Hits. Sarah has had a full-on couple of years, and that's not putting it lightly. It started with panic attacks, leaving her radio job, and at the same time, Sarah found a lump in her breast, which she found out was breast cancer. Undergoing extensive treatment, including 18 rounds of chemotherapy and a mastectomy, Sarah talks us through her story and treatment and the importance of checking our breasts. We're so lucky to have Sarah share her story so openly with us in order to help others on the Self Love Club podcast. Sarah Gandy, welcome to the Self Love Club podcast. Thank you so much for your time today. Again, we're doing these via Zoom now at the moment during lockdown. So thank you so much for joining on the Zoom call. (laughs) Thanks for having me. No, it's great. It's good that we can do this despite lockdown. Yeah. Tell us about yourself and what you do. So I have, well, I don't currently work in radio, but up until recently, I worked in radio for 18 years. Uh, And so that's kind of the biggest work chunk of my life and probably what I'm best known for. Before that, actually, I was a youth worker. So I used to be a youth worker. Then I went into radio. And then about a year and a bit ago, I a lot happened all at once, to be honest. So when I was a youth worker, I was a youth worker for the Hutt Valley Youth Health Service, So, which I think is still going, to be honest. So shout outs to anyone that works there. <laughs> yes, good on you guys. Uh, so I was a little little peer support worker there and did counselling and, and a whole bunch of things. And then I'd always wanted to be a performer and I had these pangs of just going right... I either keep doing this or I have a hand at something else. So I applied to broadcasting school and got in on a total whim. I knew nothing about radio or broadcasting or anything. Yeah. Anyway, there was some radio station they asked about and they said, what is it playing? I had no idea. Like I just didn't know radio stations. I didn't know anything. And I had tales of all these people that had been working in radio and were amazing. So when I got into broadcasting school, I honestly couldn't believe it because I was such a noob. Uh, so I went through, did that and then um, managed to score an internship at ZDM in Auckland. Moved to Auckland, started there and then worked my way up over the years. I went from intern to I was a junior programmer and then I was the day's host. Then I was the day's host and the music director for a while. And then I became just the music director and I did a weekend countdown for a while doing the top 40, the fat 40 or whatever with the stables for years and years. And uh, eventually I ended up being the content director of ZM. So I kind of spent a long time just slowly working my way up and working with the most amazing people. Eventually I was a content director for a couple of years when a lot of change was happening at ZM. Polly and Grant were uh, moving to the hits. 
Fletchford and Megan were starting as the breakfast show. Uh, we started Jason PJ as the drive show. So it was a lot of change at ZM. It was pretty intense. Mm. And I think it kind of burnt me out a little bit because it was just a, a hell of a lot for someone that had never been a content director before. It was amazing, but just pretty full on. So... I thought about it and I thought I'd had to come off air to become a content director and I really missed being on air. And I knew I'd kick myself if I didn't give it another go. So I spoke to my boss at the time, Gemma Fordham, who's now over in Australia and said, hey, so I think I want to quit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's like, oh, and, God. <laughs> yeah, she's like, oh, what are we going to do? No, she was like, okay. I mean, actually, a couple of times she said no. And then eventually she said, okay, what can we do? What's the backup plan? And so uh, Ross, who's now the PD of the content director of ZDM, was brought in. And I got to shuffle off to go and do Days on the Hits. So I did that for a year and that was my step back into getting back into on-air radio. And then at the end of that year, I started doing the Hits Breakfast Show with Tony and Sam. And I did that for a couple of years, which was really intense because getting up at four in the morning, mm. holy moly, it is... It's a lot, isn't it? Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. yeah, I feel for... For people that have done it for years and years and years, like it is intense. Mm. Obviously, I had some I had some health stuff that was coming up and I didn't know what it was. And I started getting panic attacks. So I took some time off the breakfast show. By, but my doctor was like, you need to stop getting up at 4am right now. Mm. I just need you to take a break. And really, we were overdue for a holiday. So I was like, okay. So for the first time ever, I came off air for something. I'd never been off, off air like that before. It was crazy. Mm. And because I really just needed to figure out what the hell was going on with my body because it was clearly screaming at me. Uh, but when I went in to have a, a meeting about sort of coming back on air and, you know, reintegrating myself, uh, that was when one of my bosses told me, actually, we're not going to renew your contract. So that was pretty tough. Yeah. Um, and this, I'm not telling this is a what was me story. I just think it's, you know, it's just the truth. It's just what happens. So, yeah. okay. And at the same time, I actually found a lump in my breast. So... I'd gone to my GP to start that process of um, being diagnosed with breast cancer whilst I was also trying to navigate my way through finishing up at the hits. And, it, you know, it was pretty full on because I'd been in with the same company for mm. 18 years. It was like this perfect storm of craziness was all happening at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't think. I was like, surely it won't be breast cancer because so much crap has happened. <laughs> that surely. And then it was. Yeah. Oh, man, that is... <laughs> Sarah, that's so much that you dealt with all at once. We'll sort of go through a little bit. So first of all, you had been working a really long time and had this amazing career. You'd done days for so long, which I don't think people realise, but doing days, especially as long as you did, like that's a skill in itself. And it's you spend mm. you spend a long time on your own in a room, which I actually I, I enjoy doing it, but it, it is it's a different skill that people don't really realise how it actually is quite hard. And then, you know, done all those other things. And then to be getting up that early and then I guess, you know, anxiety and panic attacks is something that's actually so normal. People do experience them. And I just think that, yeah, good on you for talking about it because it's really scary. And especially when you're in a public sort of role to talk about, it's in another whole layer of things because you, it's a bit, it's a bit of a, it feels like a bit of a risk talking about it. You know what I mean? It does. And, you know, I think it's a shame that people... I remember talking to um, someone about how I was off to see my psychologist and they said, oh, good on you. And I was like, mm. <laughs> yep, 
Yeah, I guess, sure. But also, no, like, isn't it just the same as going to the doctor yeah. when you've got a sore knee? Or, you know, it just, there is a real stigma around it. And I guess I just felt like, well, you know what? I, I haven't, it's not, I'm not someone that's had, feel like I've battled mental health all my life. Uh, you know, I've had plenty of things go wrong in my life that I've dealt with, but it makes sense for you to have to, mm. you know, deal with those things. But panic attacks was a really new thing for me. And I thought, well, I should talk about it because actually it's a nice reminder that mental health can be something that comes and goes and it is a, it's a sense of wellness. It's not you have mental health problems or you don't. Mm. That's not how it works at all. Everybody is susceptible at times to being um, perhaps mentally unhealthy. And I think the panic attacks for me, my anxiety was getting pretty bad, but the panic attacks were really my body trying to tell me that something's not right. Mm. And I also had a really... Um, contextually at work, I had a really tough relationship with my manager. And I think in the past, I've always, you know, like for me, radio has often felt like family. And so to have a tough relationship with a manager was actually really, it, it was really hard for me. Mm. And I think other people wouldn't find that so hard. But for, you know, a myriad of reasons, I was really battling that. And so you threw that in the mix with stuff that wasn't obviously right with my body, as I then found out in January when I got a cancer diagnosis. And it's like, okay, well, no wonder all of this was happening. Yeah. Um, it's just a shame that it culminated the way that it did. Mm. Um, but I, in the, in the process of trying to really it's crazy because now I think about it I was trying to fix my panic attacks because I wanted to get back on air that's what's nuts that shouldn't be your motivation but it was I kind of managed to pull together a whole bunch of tools really quickly which then when I was diagnosed with cancer in January everyone said to me your mental well-being is the biggest thing that's going to get you through this and so I was like okay okay <laughs> like I've got six months of chemo this is going to be really gnarly if I can just keep my head right then I'll be able to deal with the rest of it. Mm. And a lot of those tools that I managed to kind of hurriedly pull together at the end of the year when I was having those panic attacks suddenly were exactly what I needed mm. to get through. You know, well, so far it's been a year and a bit of cancer treatment. So weirdly, sometimes I'm like, maybe the universe set me up for yeah, this. It was getting me ready. You. Yeah, it was like giving yeah. you the tools that would, might help you go through another like extremely hard battle. Talk us through those panic attacks. Like what was that looking like for you? I know people listening will also have experienced these, but what you said you yeah. hadn't really had panic attacks before. So what was that like for you? It starts out that you feel quite super tight chested and it feels really physical. Like some people often think that, you know, they'll think they're having a heart attack or something because it's just like your whole chest gets so tight and then the breathing gets harder and it almost gets out of control and you have a real, you have no sense of control in that moment. And it, a huge sense of doom kind of washes over you. Mm. That's, the, that's the kind of best way I can describe yeah. it. The one that really... Um, not me for six was I got up one morning at four in the morning and I went to go get in the shower and walked out of the bedroom, shut the door because my husband was still in bed. And as I walked into the bathroom, I just went into a full-blown panic attack. Oh. I was, wasn't hardly even awake and I was having a panic yeah. attack. And so then I was like, right, I just need to get to work. So I jumped in the shower, had a shower, thought it would put me right. Should never have driven into work. Like I drove to work and now I acknowledge the fact that I of, I shouldn't have. And when I walked in, our producer just took one look at me. I didn't even say anything. And she's like, are you okay? And I just burst into tears. Oh, so dolls. it just, yeah. I think the thing is, is you have a panic attack and it feels like a heart attack or it feels, you know, however it feels for that person. But then because it uses so much energy and there's a real so surge of things inside you, it's like you come down afterwards. Mm, they drain you. feel you. like you've been run over by a truck. Yeah. yeah. Very draining. Yeah. 
Yeah. They're really draining. So, and the worst thing is, is the more you tell yourself, don't have a panic attack, the more you have a panic attack. Yeah. So I read a really great book by Dr. Harry Barry called Anxiety and Panic. And it was how to, it's, the subtitle is how to reshape your anxious mind and brain. And he goes through a lot of um, case studies of having different clients and different clients in different situations, finding themselves having panic attacks. And you can, you can, either do it like an exercise book or you can just read it. I just read it. Mm. But it just puts so much into perspective. And what was amazing is after that panic attack that morning, I didn't ever have another one. I haven't had one since. Wow. It was, which is when I think about, you know, losing my job and getting a cancer diagnosis and going through all of the treatment that comes with a cancer diagnosis. And now here we are in a worldwide pandemic. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot to be dealt with. And um, yeah, the panic attacks haven't come back. So it's so good. Fingers crossed. It's been weird to not be in radio for this this you know period of time but I also had to really work on the fact of not feeling like it was because I was awful at my job because I really I you know when I first realized that's it I wrote I had all these negative thoughts running through my head and I wrote a list of all of the things that I truly believed at the time and they were things like I'm awful at my job uh, nobody wants to work with me. I'm never going to work again. Uh, like I'm a... Yeah, just horrible. And then eventually I sat down and I wrote the alternatives to those thoughts because I, I realized how ridiculous they were. You are so good at what you're doing. You were 100% VN Radio. Like, girlfriend, that is that is you. Like, <laughs> come on, you know? And, and it, it always works out. It's just... And I think in some ways, because then what came after that is as if that's not enough to deal with it once... Then your yeah. cancer diagnosis. So talk us through yeah. that. And because, you know, like that must have been such a shock. It was. So I um I found a lump in October, which was ironically Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And uh, I've got a really good friend called Delaney. She's a Kiwi who lives in LA and she's been going through breast cancer treatment herself and we're the same age. And uh, I remember when I found out she was diagnosed, this was a few years ago, and I was like, what? This is insane. And just, you know, I couldn't think of the world without her. And then I watched her go through the treatment. At one point, we went and visited her in LA when she was kind of in the depths of chemo and she'd lost all her hair. And so it was pretty intense. And so when I found this lump, I knew if I don't get it checked, she would kill me. <laughs> she would absolutely, like, if I don't go to the doctor, I'll be in big trouble. And that really was what sent me to the GP. It was just her voice in the back of my head. And when I went to my GP, she did a... Um, I remember <laughs> her saying, okay, let's have a look. And she's like, just um, sit up on the bed and take your top off. And I was like, do I have to take my bra off? And she's like, yes. <laughs> Yes, you do. It's like, okay. Okay, good. Okay. Good. Okay. Get the boobs out because I'm not a big boobs out kind of lady. Uh, and she checked it and said, oh, yeah, you know, I don't think it's anything, but I would hate to be that doctor that didn't send you forward. So I think it's always better to be safe than sorry. Mm. And so she referred me. So I was referred for a mammogram and it took three months to get a mammogram. Wow. Um, and I think that's, you know, partially because I was deemed low risk because of my age. Um partially maybe because it was waiting over Christmas a little bit. I don't mm. know. I actually don't know. Three months seems like a long time to wait. But anyway, I waited. And then when I finally went and got my mammogram, they were like, oh, we're going to do an ultrasound as well just to check this lump. And in my head, I was still like, it's going to be a fibroid or a cyst or, you know, you. I'd obviously gone on the internet like every person would and looked at all the other things that could be in my boob uh, and looked at the stats and was like, really, there's a low chance that it's going to be cancer. And then as the the radiologist is doing the ultrasound, the look on his face just was like, oh God, <laughs> it was so bad. Oh, no. And I remember looking at him 
looking at the woman that was in there with him and she's staring at the screen and her eyes are kind of going watery and I'm like, oh my God, what are they saying? Mm. And I said, am I in trouble here? And he's like, I can't say yet. But at that point, I think I kind of knew. And he said, we've got to get you back for a biopsy as soon as possible. So I went back two days later for a biopsy, which was, man, they really, they, they give you um, lidocaine like they give you at the dentist. But when they're putting it into a boob, I don't know, it just Ouch. didn't seem to do through the track, to be honest. Yeah. So they took a 12 or 15 biopsies oh from my, my boob. Oh, God, they, at the same time. Yeah, <gasps> yeah they'd, Sarah, they'd found wow. some. They'd, yeah, well, they'd found two lumps in my boob and, and something that looked sinister in my lymph node. So it was quite intense. And then I came home from that, stupidly went to that appointment by myself. I should have taken someone, but I just was still like, it's fine mm. or it's not, but I'll just do th- I think I was just like a walking zombie at this point. Mm. And um, then my doctor actually rang me and said, when I get the results, do you want me to just call you with the results rather than you having to come in? And I was like, yes, please. So she rang me with the results and said, yeah, it's breast cancer. Wow. And this is what we know so far. And they don't, they can't tell a lot at that point, but they can tell a bit because they need to do a whole lot of imaging and stuff. And suddenly I was going into, you know, breast cancer treatment and finding doctors and deciding on what kind of treatment I was going to have and what kind of reconstruction surgery I might have. Wow, and it's a lot. You know, you know, and there's a lot. It was like you kind of go into action stations actually, like my little managerial hat really got put back on. I'd heard about this thing called cold capping um, where because basically if you get breast cancer, the chemo, you will lose your hair effectively. Is, there's no there's no two buts about it. But cold capping is this thing where they put like kind of like a helmet almost on your head that freezes your skull to minus four degrees and it stops the chemo getting to your hair follicles. Mm. And so you wear it whilst you're getting chemo and it doesn't guarantee that you won't lose your hair. For some women, they'll, they might lose still, you know, 60, 70% of the hair. Uh, but I thought, well, I, it's worth giving it a go. And I think in the end, I probably lost about 5% of my hair. Wow. Yeah, was, your hair looks incredible. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. It's getting, it's got a lot of baby hairs coming through. My yeah, hairdresser yeah. just poor woman, uh, has to really <laughs> bite her way through that. But I lost my eyebrows. I lost my eyelashes. You know, you lose all the rest of your hair. No no nose hairs are very annoying. Oh. They really do hatch a lot of things. <laughs> it's like <laughs> quite punishing all of a sudden. Oh, God. But yeah, the cold capping was pretty phenomenal. And if anybody is listening to this because they have just been diagnosed, the Breast Cancer Foundation actually fund cold capping units around New Zealand. So uh, it's worth looking into. That's so can... good. Thanks for telling us about that because I don't think many people, I've never heard of that. So that's amazing. Yeah. And lots of people said to me, oh, look, it's just here and who cares? And you'll be great bald. First of all, I would not look good bald. bald. I've had a pixie haircut in the early thousands and it did not do wonders for me. <laughs> so bald was yeah. a vegan. But also I think for um, women that have kids, you know, being able to look like mum is quite an amazing yeah. thing. Or for me, it just meant that I could look in the mirror and even though I looked pretty shocking, I just kind of looked like I had a bad cold or flu. Yeah. I didn't, no, and that's important. Know, it's, it's important for people. Mm. I mean, people just say it's just here, but it's, no, it's it's okay to have your hair and, you know, that's if it makes you feel like a bit of yourself in a really 
hard time where you're not fully going to be yourself, then why yeah, not, you know? Totally. Yeah. And also for the people that say it's just here, okay, let's shave your head right now. <laughs> yeah. Let's do this. <laughs> yes. So, you know, I just, uh, for me, when we go back to the mental game being such a big part of getting through a cancer diagnosis and cancer treatment, you know, anything you can do that's going to make yourself feel good, mm. whether it's keeping your hair or wearing amazing earrings to your chemo session or, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever dumb thing it is, um, yeah, then I say do it because, geez, you've gone through enough. It shows real strength how you handled things. And, you know, you say you went into your manager's sort of situation where you were just, get, you know, you you got on with it, you started working everything out. What was that moment, yeah. though, on the phone? I mean, I think you probably must have, you probably started thinking about it when you were at those appointments when you were seeing the reactions. But what was that moment like when your doctor told you on the phone that you did have breast cancer? Do you remember that moment? Oh, so clearly. Um, I think the worst bit of a cancer diagnosis is waiting for the cancer diagnosis. Like other than the obvious things of like facing your own mortality and that kind of thing. But just in terms of one of the hardest things, because once you have a cancer diagnosis, you've then got a trajectory of like, okay, well, this is what we're doing. But until then, you are literally just catastrophizing Mm. the whole situation. You don't know how bad it is. You, you You don't know. So... I think when I was told that I had it, I, I it was almost like a, of course I do. It wasn't, it was never, I never felt like, why me? It was always like, of course it is. Of course that's what's happening now. Um, my mum died of bowel cancer when she was 39. Oh, so, Sarah, and so I, I was diagnosed with, oh, thanks. Yeah, I, and I was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 36. So I think there was, once I realised that this was a possibility, there was part of me that was like, mm, okay, <laughs> okay. This is this is history repeating itself a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but I just had to remind myself that, you know, when my mum went through her cancer diagnosis and treatment, that was in the early 90s. You know, it's a long time ago and a lot has changed and it's a completely different type of cancer that was found at a completely different stage. Mm. So that there was that mental side of it that really was something I had to kind of deal with on top of everything else. Yeah. You know, that's a whole nother thing to go through at such a young age as well. And and yeah. that must have been so hard. Yeah, it was. And I think, I mean, I was 10 at the time and of course it was. And I think yeah. for a long time I was like, it's fine. I remember talking to my psychologist about it. And I said, oh, you know, my mum died when I was 10, but it's okay. And she was like, uh, no, it's not. <laughs> and at that point, I realized that I'd literally been saying that statement like that for so long mm. that I hadn't really given myself a chance to be like, maybe it's not okay. Maybe that is terrible. And what a horrible thing to happen to such a young person. Yeah. And, you know, and yeah. Go so, your teens without a mum, you know, like without your mum there with you. Yeah. And that's a really, that's at a time where it's like, you know, we, we need our parents a bit. We do. Yeah, we do. So I think um, there's a part of that that actually probably has set me up to deal with this in the way that I have because you are thrown something quite traumatic so early on when you're still building your resiliency and your capacity to deal with things. And also you've kind of faced it. You know, I've watched my mum die from cancer. And so then when you have your own cancer diagnosis, you're like, well, I know what the end looks like. So it's not great, but it's also something I've already dealt with once before. Mm. I talked a lot about death with my psychologist around the start of my diagnosis. And it's funny how when you really start to talk about the concept of you, you yourself 
dying. For me, anyway, the hardest bit wasn't actually me dying. It was all the other people. <laughs> it was yeah. the people that I love and what I would do to them. And that was that was the thing that I really battled with. Because if I die, that's it. I'm dead. Yeah. See you later. Yeah. You know, I'm off doing. I'm not doing whatever comes next. You know. Whereas for my husband and for my friends and family, I've just got to live with that. And that that was the hardest bit. So mm. then having to kind of really come to terms with that that was a whole process as well, yeah. which. A lot of people go through and really I, I feel lucky I don't have kids and I feel lucky I don't because I think a lot of women, there's a huge fear when they get diagnosed with any kind of cancer that they're not going to be there for their kids and that that's quite a heavy thing to bear. Mm, yeah, completely. Mm. Um, You're getting your head around the treatment and just getting on with it and doing it. Are you finding out along the way like what the chances are of, of beating it and, you know, are they telling that sort of information? Yeah. Because at first I actually didn't know what stage I was and I kind of, no one told me and I didn't ask because I thought I don't, I don't know that it hadn't metastasized, which is stage four. And that's when really it becomes a lot, it's more about managing it than it is about curing it. Mm. Um, and I think in a way it was partially just like ignorance is bliss and I'll just do what my oncologist tells me. And both him and my, my breast surgeon have both said, we're going for curative treatment. So I was like, great, that's all I need to know. Mm-hmm. But eventually I found out, uh, that it's stage three and because basically it had spread to my lymph nodes, but only just, only a couple of lymph nodes. Uh, the way I had treatment was slightly unconventional. So I did chemotherapy first, which meant that we could actually see the tumors shrinking. Mm-hmm. You could feel and see wow. a response, which was amazing. And so by the end of my six rounds of chemo, when they went in to do the mastectomy, they pulled out all the tissue and they sent all of that off for testing and came back with what they call no evidence of disease. And that means that the chemotherapy had blasted away all of the tumors. So that that doesn't mean that it's completely done because you can have microscopic cancer cells floating around your body. Mm-hmm. But what it means is the hope is that the cancer that I had was very responsive to that. But that's why you still have a mastectomy. I still had radiation. I kept having targeted chemo up until I had my last one a week and a half ago. So all up, I did 18 rounds of targeted chemotherapy, which is... That's so much. You're incredible, Sarah. Honestly, that's a lot. But I'll take it because I'm like, if this is going to keep me here, then I will take it. And the the first six rounds of chemo are a lot harder because they kind of just blast every cell in your body, whereas Mm. the next... Uh, 12 were targeted and so they still used to have side effects you still get tired and rashes and funny tummy and all that kind of stuff but it's not as it's not as intense yeah I just thought I'll do whatever I can to stop this thing coming back and now I take tamoxifen which is a pill I take every day and I will for 10 years at least depending on what the literature says We'll get back to the rest of our episode with Sarah Gandy soon but first a message from our sponsor Breast Cancer Foundation NZ How well do you know your own breasts? Now is a great time to get to know them better. Is your left one always bigger than your right? If they're sore and a little lumpy, is that normal for you? It's important to know your breasts so you notice when something's changed. Know the signs, know your normal. Pre-check an app by Breast Cancer Foundation NZ will teach your hands what to look for. Download Pre-check from the App Store or Google Play today. How are things looking currently for you? I know that you've yeah you've recently stopped some of that treatment, but you're on more. What are things looking like at the moment? I'm almost back into kind of just being. I finished my last targeted chemo means that I don't need to go in to get any more infusions. 
I have a chest port in, which is something that they implant in a main artery in your chest so they can give you chemo that way because it just sort of saves your veins. Uh, and that chest port was meant to come out two days ago, but because of the lockdown, that will have to happen at a later date because mm. we need to keep our health people safe. So everyone stay home and I get to be a bionic woman for a little bit longer. <laughs> um, but once that comes out, I think that will feel quite final. And then re so really, other than my chest port where I'm at is just recovering and slowly but surely, you know, getting my energy back, getting... I'm st I'm, into, I'm not already into exercise, but just getting back my strength properly. And yeah, I, like ideally getting to a point where I've got enough energy where going back to work full time is really doable and isn't going to hinder my recovery. And luckily, I mean, at the moment I can't get a job, so yeah. it's fine. Good one, so Corona. Guess, can't get a job that's anyway. Corona. Yeah. That's really enforced that situation. Yeah. Um, but yeah. You I are still doing some really cool things. Like over summer with 660, you do yeah. like voice work still, you still got your podcast. So it's cool that you're still doing and creating things. You know, that's epic. Yeah, it was great. And actually touring with 660 and seeing those shows was awesome because it actually was the first time I'd kind of gotten out and done something for a long time. And a lot of the crew had no idea what I'd been going through. And so everyone's like, how are you? Everyone's yeah. just like, yeah, all right, see you in the next one. And you're like, okay. It just it just felt really um, normal. But also one of my really good friends, Chris, is in 660. So it was also really nice to be uh, watching him do his thing. I hadn't seen him perform with the band for so long. Mm. And I remember standing side stage at the first gig in Heart Valley and watching him on stage, just caning it in front of my hometown. And I was got a bit emotional. I was yeah. just like, oh my God, a, a year ago, I missed the 660 gig because I was starting chemo. And then here I am a year later watching a really good mate just absolutely smash That's it. Epic. And here, here I am getting to stand side stage with a cup of hot water. Um, <laughs> like rock star so rock and roll. Yeah. So, so rock star life. Uh, watching him absolutely own it. Yeah. So that was cool. And yeah, we've been doing, we do a podcast called Empire Records Minute, which if anybody's seen the movie Empire Records, there's a podcast genre where you watch a minute of a movie and do an episode and then watch another minute and you basically dissect a movie minute by minute. And we kind of started it before I was diagnosed with cancer, but we managed to finish it whilst I was doing chemo, which was amazing. He was very, Chris was very patient with me, but we got through it and it kind of kept me sane, I think, yeah. at the start of chemo. Mm. And I think we're also hopefully going to be doing uh, a quarantine kind of movie series special. So cool. more on the yeah, we're just trying to figure no, out. The I moment. think it's more on, yeah. Keep doing, keep doing stuff. Like just yeah, it's a hard one, isn't it? Just because you don't have a radio job doesn't mean you can't do this stuff. And that's the cool <laughs> thing about podcasting and and creating and social yeah. media. Now you can still create, and that's really mm -hmm. good for you and makes you feel like you're doing what you love doing. You know, and I think that's great. So keep doing it. Yeah, thanks, man. And I think you know when when this lockdown first happened. I was really freaking out because in my head, this was the point where I was going to start trying to get a job again. Mm. It's been interesting to go, actually, there's nothing you can do. Sure, you're unemployed, but we've got a little bit of money saved. Not a lot of money saved. <laughs> it's a little bit scary, especially because my partner's an editor. And so the whole film industry is also yeah. deep. Mm. So between the two of us, it's a little. there's a little bit of anxiety around that, but we just have to ride the wave like everyone else. It's teaching me that I've put a lot of value in what I do for a job and how I earn money and seeing that, is, that if I'm doing that, then that's my life moving forward. Mm. And if I'm not doing that, then my life is in limbo. When actually the reality is, is that's not true at all. Yeah. You have to earn money to pay your bills and to put a roof over your head, but you don't have to be doing something like that to feel like you're moving forward or you're progressing no. or you're exactly. doing great things. So. It's a really good lesson for me to learn. 
you know, a lot of people that get cancer say that treatment is one thing, but actually the aftermath, you know, a lot of people get effectively like PTSD mm. after they've gotten through their cancer treatment. Because when you're in treatment, you know, everyone, people do drop off meals and everyone's sending you love and it's amazing. People are, you know, the, the messages you get are so uplifting and helpful. But then once you finish cancer treatment, other than people going, so hey, is that it? Are you in remission? Mm. Are you cured now? Other than that, people just move on with their lives. And of course they do, of course. You know, that's how it should be. But for the person that's had cancer, actually, it's like they've been through a battlefield and they've come out the other side battered and bruised and they're trying to put themselves back together mm. and really try and figure out what the new normal is. And so it is it is tough. And I've, you know, had my breast surgeon say to me, if at any point in the next few months, you just have an absolute breakdown, that's to be expected. Yeah. And so far I haven't, but I have been seeing my psychologist again, sort of like a little top up. Good, yeah. A little bit of mental health hygiene um, because at some point it might hit me and I might be like, oh my God, what has the last two years of my life been? Mm. <gasps> you know, so, and I think probably the same could be said for people that are going through the trauma of the pandemic right now. You know, mm. people's lives have been turned upside down and they've lost jobs and, uh, you know, they're having to stay at home. And this is a really traumatic mm. thing for a lot of people. And yeah. so I think once we come out of this, there's going to be a lot of people going through the same thing and PTSD will probably be part of it. And yeah. we've just got to be kind to ourselves and to everyone else and realise it takes time. Obviously, that treatment that you go through is intense on your body. And what does that do for your headspace? Because I know that when you're sick, it can affect your mind a bit, like if you're physically sick as well. What was that like yeah. for you? The thing with chemo in particular is every day you wake up and you're like, okay, what symptoms are coming at me today? Like what side effects? And I actually kept a chemo diary because that way, by the time I got to the third or fourth round, I'd pretty much be able to be like, day five, don't leave the house. <laughs> That's not going to be good. Yeah. You know, you kind of knew uh, what was coming. But it was hard because I remember once I got through three rounds of chemo, everyone was like, yes, you're halfway through. And I felt like, oh man, I'm only halfway through. Like I was so already so tired mm. and the concept of going through it all again, it's cumulative. So it being harder was, that was quite a mental hurdle. Mm. Um, and I was really amazed actually at how my body took everything. I just kind of reminded myself that really I was doing better than I thought I'd be doing. Yeah. <laughs> so just that's great and just keep going and keep being kind it is hard. You just have to do a lot of things that make you feel good, basically. Mm. And a lot of stuff when you're going through cancer treatment isn't in your control. So you would just do the things that were in your control, like figuring out the foods you could eat when you had no taste buds or having Epsom salt baths to try and get the last little bits of detoxing out of you mm. to maybe speed things along. Did it speed things along? Probably not, but it felt nice. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think also my husband, is he's amazing. And he just totally got me through it. You know, he's an editor who would normally not edit at home, but for a lot of my treatment was managing to do jobs at home so that he could look after me and not have me lying at home and be by myself all day. Oh, that's so lovely. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and you know, things like when I had surgery, like I felt really good about my surgery results, but he was also really stoked with my surgery results. And so I was waiting for that thing, you know, a lot of women mourn the loss of a, a breast or whatever, but actually, I was just like, great, this is, this is great, okay. And the body positivity that came from myself and from him, the little, little things like that actually really helped. So I think it is about you and your own mind, but having someone amazing alongside you, kind of they yeah. can lift you up when you're 
like battling. That's so nice. Yeah. What is, I mean, yeah. we'll talk about some other things soon, but what is that process of like losing a, like, how do you get your head around that? That seems like a whole other thing and this whole yeah. lot that you've dealt with, you know? <laughs> I know. I know. I think, um, I was really lucky that I had a mastectomy and reconstruction at the same time. And that was when I wrote my wish list of things in my treatment, that was one of the things that would be nice to have. And, and, you know, if I couldn't have it, so be it. But it's like, if we could, that would be great. Because for a lot of women, the waking up with no breast down, just, you know, a, mm. a line or whatever, and it completely flat, especially if you're only having, because I only had a, a one one breast yeah. removed. I kept my other one uh, because my doctor said there's no, there's no reason to cut the other one off. So I thought, okay, why not? Um, and I was I was fine with that. You know, some women want to just get rid of them so that they feel like they've got less chance of breast cancer coming back. But I don't know, in my head, I felt like that was okay. Uh, but I got to wake up with a boob. I, you know, I, they got rid of my nipple because the breast cancer was too close to my nipple. So I have a patch of skin where my nipple was. So it kind of just looks, I look like a bit like a pirate, like wearing an eye patch. It's unique, Maybe you know, a nice unique <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah, completely. And eventually I can get a, uh, they do these amazing tattoos of nipples that look like 3D. That's so They cool. look like a nipple. Yeah. Yeah, so eventually I'll, I might get one of those. But um, I think because I got to wake up and there was still a breast there, yeah. it was okay. okay. I, th- I mean, I don't know how I would have felt if there hadn't been a breast there. I, I suspect it would have been exponentially harder mm. but a lot of women I think they say about two-thirds of women choose to not get reconstruction when they have a mastectomy it's, it's a really personal decision and I think everyone responds differently and there's no right or wrong way to respond to that scenario yeah I think it's really important and thank you so much for being so open about your journey with breast cancer because I think there is like you said earlier this misconception that it's something that affects women who are older but the fact is it does mm. affect women that are younger as well what are your thoughts on that I would really love, because I think for me, I didn't know the nine signs of breast cancer. I think that's because in my head, it wasn't going to affect me for a long time, if ever, you know. I wish I paid more attention because I actually think that there's a sign that I had maybe a few months before I found my lump that might have been a giveaway, you know, and maybe I would have caught it a little bit earlier. But wouldn't it be great if as young women in our teens or 20s, we know how to self-check. We know the nine signs of breast cancer. So even if we don't need to use that information for 20 or 30 years, we have that information instantly. It is so known to us, mm. the things that we should be looking for. Just like we brush our teeth, we check ourselves once a month and we know what the signs are. That's, I think, what I would like to see happen because at the moment, you know, if I know that I've literally talked about breast cancer campaigns on the radio for my job, but I still didn't know the nine signs of breast cancer, mm. you know? And and so I, I just, I think if we can change the perception of who that knowledge is important for, that would be such a game changer for women. Mm. Because we don't, we don't have, you know, there's, there are women in their 20s, not many, but there are women in their 20s in New Zealand who get breast cancer. 30s, it goes up, 40s, more, you know. But to be able to catch it a little bit earlier because we know what the signs are, that to me would be a brilliant thing. And, and breast cancer doesn't always appear really quickly. It can, you know, take years to form. So mm. anyway, I, I, yeah, I would like to see young women yeah. armed with that knowledge. For sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, there is this, because they do mammograms when you're older, but maybe they should, I don't know mm. if it's like start, to, uh, it's a whole other conversation, well, but yeah. 
the issue the issue with mammograms when you're younger actually is because when you're younger you have dense breasts and my my breast surgeon said to me oh you've got very dense breasts and I was like oh brilliant thank she you goes, no yeah I was like great and she goes no it's quite bad oh, and I was damn. like really she's like yeah she's like they're quite hard to look at and I was like oh god so because of like, a mammogram with a de- <laughs> yeah yeah trust me that's not the problem no they're just they're very dense but a mammogram really battles with a dense breast because it's hard to see through you know, the dense material that is there, tissue that's there. So that's why mammograms for younger women aren't necessarily really recommended or seen as a gold standard because they might not see something that's there. And so there are other things that are kind of popping up and ultrasound is a really can be a good option. But for example, for me, to look at my breasts, I've had MRIs, ultrasounds, mammograms and now the way I'm checked by my oncologist and my breast surgeon is we do a mammogram and an ultrasound once a year, but it's using my hand. It's self-checking and self-awareness. Mm. And then, then they'll check as well when I go and see them, but that's it. You've talked yeah. through some of your self-care practices. We talk a lot about self-care. What are some other ways that you look after yourself? Exercise is a really big one and I had to let go of exercising for a bit, especially after surgery for some of last year and I found that, you know, really when I wasn't exercising, my mental health also became harder to keep void, mm. uh, as it were. So exercise for me, and even if that's just going for a walk, a 40-minute walk around the block or whatever, that's that's exercise. Like that for me is a really key one and something that I, yeah, tr- uh, that's probably the thing I try and stick most to, which is hard because sometimes you feel lazy and you don't yeah. want to do it. But <laughs> you always feel better for doing it. Definitely. Uh, but that... Healthy eating, you know, um, there's a lot of diets that people get recommended. I kind of am doing the Mediterranean diet, but only vaguely, just as a way of like giving me <laughs> recipe ideas, to be honest. Yeah. But just as a way of getting more plants and veggies and fruit and, you know, good fats and that kind of stuff in my diet and also shying away from things. I don't eat a lot of red meat. I mainly eat fish. I do eat chicken, so I'm not vegetarian. But but just really paying attention to how nutritious is this food but is it making me feel good? I don't want to eat food that doesn't make me feel good and mm. is just like depressing, you know? So so nutrition is a really big one, but in a way that nourishes my soul as well as my body. Because yeah. <laughs> otherwise, yeah, so exercise and food. I know it seems it seems simple and cliche, but those are the two big things. Mm. Um, meditation, I do it on and off. I do a thing called morning pages on and off, uh, which is from a book by Julia Cameron called The Artist's Way. And it's a book, if anybody is feeling like they're in a creative rut, go and get, you know, find it. If you can get books at the moment, I know that's kind of difficult. If you've got a Kindle, download, download online. It. Yeah, there's online apps yes. and things. Yep. Uh, and one of the things she suggests doing is morning pages where you write three kind of A4 pages of just like st- streamed thoughts. And it can be so inane and boring. It can literally be... Oh god, the cat's meowing outside because he wants breakfast, but I can't be bothered getting out of bed yet. And oh man, there's a giant pile of clothes in the corner mm-hmm. that's staring at me, and it has been for three days. And I should really because all it is is it's just you getting almost getting through all the inane thoughts that you mm-hmm. have to free up some of that mental space for other things. That's a really good and tip. doing it, yeah. Yeah, it's good because really, I think sometimes journaling can feel a bit like I've got to talk about my feelings or, but what I love about morning pages is you sometimes do end up talking about your feelings and having these revelations, but sometimes it's just three pages of inane observational whining. (laughs) Like that's it because you're not, you're not meant to read it back. No one else is meant to read it. It really is just 
clearing the mental pipes, I guess. Mm. Um, so that's another practice that I find really good. You seem pretty good at self-care, to be honest. I think like, and it's like not about self-care. doesn't need to be all strict and everything, but I, yeah, I think you have, you've got some really good tools in your belt, like in your toolkit, like you said earlier, you know, you do look after yourself really well. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing is actually listening to your body and acknowledging, oh man, okay, I've got a bit of anxiety that's creeping in. And actually anxiety can be helpful. Mm. You know, anxiety is supposed to be there to warn us of things, but sometimes anxiety can become a bit punishing. So, you know, being aware of, okay, that's creeping in. So, hmm, why is that? Is that because I had too many wines or is that, you know, <laughs> yeah. what is what is going Just being aware of what your body's doing and what your mind's doing and then treating it kindly and, and accordingly. Yeah, totally. That's no, all you're, it is. You're doing yeah. amazing, Sarah. Thanks for sharing those with us. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about your career because, you know, for a lot of us in radio, we've looked up to you so much. You're incredible at what you've done and your career will continue. Mm. I want you to know that because I know it can be hard to <laughs> sort of work that out, but... Don't worry, girlfriend. There's, after, after this <laughs> shit storm's over, like, you know, get, you'll be in some shifts or something. But, like, talk us through because, you know, if you've got advice for anyone that maybe, whether it not be in radio or whatever it is, people listen to this, often want to do really cool things with their lives. How did you do what you did and what would be some advice you would like to share to other women from what you've learned? Oh, man, okay. I mean, I think I, um, I started doing radio kind of on a whim because I just knew that I had always loved performing and that for me was a way of getting a job that I got to perform, <laughs> basically. And, it's, and you it's, know. A, it's, a, it's a pretty, I mean, you know, radio's not always secure, but like it's, you know, it's not like you're well, acting hey, it's, a, <laughs> it's an essential service in the lockdown. Exactly. So I'm still at work. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who knew? So for anybody that is trying to figure out what they want to do, just think about what really lights your fire and then, then start to look for jobs that might kind of tick that box. Um I mean, I don't know, that could be terrible advice, especially in this employment Yeah, but world, we can but still, like, think big once this is all over. I don't think this can crush everybody's hopes and dreams for once we're through this time, you know? Yeah. No, completely. And, look, I am was unsure whether I had made a wise choice going into radio when I was losing my job a year and a bit ago. But now I, I look at the way I'm almost jealous of people that are on the radio right now mm. because during a pandemic when people really need connection radio is an amazing tool yeah. and really it's something that will keep a lot of people sane and what an incredible way to connect with people so um, I think okay no the fact that I feel that way means that I probably will end up back in radio at some point because that's the part of the job that I absolutely love the most mm. is connecting with people for someone career-wise that wants to get into it. I think just figure out what lights your fire, find a way to get into it, whether it's study or, you know, most people study to get into radio, but not everyone does. And then within radio, I just looked to people I could learn off, you know? And actually it was, it was there wasn't a lot of women doing the jobs that I wanted to do in radio when I first started out. You know, there wasn't any female content directors and there were very few female radio hosts. You know, there was Polly and JJ. But other than that, there weren't a lot of women on radio. So mm. that was a little harder. I think now there are amazing women who are working on the radio. But yeah, if whatever it is that you want to do, find people that are doing things that inspire you and look to either be actively mentored by them, you know, ask them, would you mind being a mentor? Could we catch up for a coffee once a month and talk about something that you're dealing with and mm. how to fix it or, you know. Um, but for me, I mean, Christian Boston, he was the 
program director of ZM for years and years and he he was the person that hired me as an intern and was my boss for so long. Mm. And really, he would have been my biggest mentor. And he was hugely supportive. I, I think, you know, Sealed Section is a show that runs on ZM now that um, if no one's heard it, it's, you know, there's a doctor or a nurse generally and young people can ask questions around sexual health or relationships or just things that they maybe feel a little bit uncomfortable talking about usually. But that was an idea that I brought to to Christian because I had been a youth worker and I was like, I really want to bring this facet to the night show at ZM. And he was like, all right, do me a pitch. I did him a pitch. This is still when I'm an intern. Wow. And I pitched it to him. Yeah. And he was like, I love it. Let's do it. You, you go and make it happen. And just let me go off and do it. So having mentors that not only you can learn off, but are going to kind of support you and let you have some ideas and run with them, find those people mm. because those people will help you grow. And it doesn't have to be just bosses that you learn off. It can be coworkers or anyone really. Mm. And then other than that, I do think be true to yourself because it's quite easy in radio to feel like you have to turn into something else to please other people or to be the right way on air or do those things. But actually, if you, no one else can be you. It's so cheesy. And I know we see it on Instagram all the time. Only you can be you. Mm. Uh, but <laughs> it's true. Yeah, you yeah. Know, That is your biggest, the biggest asset you have is, is you and being yourself. And mm. so if you can find ways to do that, I think once I realized that just being really honest about everything was never, was just, that that was how I wanted to be. It was such a change, a game changer for me, and mm, the yeah. way that I, and the way that I became a broadcaster. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What is some advice? This can be a bit of a harder question that you would give to your younger self, knowing what you know now. And man, you've been through a heck of a lot. What would you tell <laughs> yeah. younger Sarah? Don't do it. No, no. Um, <laughs> it's a trap. Uh, it's a trap. Adulting is a complete trap. <laughs> no, I think I think I would say you can get through it. I'm just trying to figure out how to word this, I guess, but. The reality is, is there's lots of things that I think on paper look terrifying. A lot of the things that I've been through in the last year and a half are literally my worst nightmares. Uh, and yet somehow I've got through them and it hasn't been so bad. I, I mean, it hasn't been great, but it hasn't been so bad. And I, you know, I've still had a lot of laughter and positivity and great food, <laughs> you know, all these things that like, it's, it doesn't have to be as awful as you think it might be. So mm. I guess what I'd say to my younger self is don't be so scared and it's not going to be that bad mm. because we can't control the terrible things that happen to us. Absolutely. There's, we're living in the wild, wild west <laughs> and things, as we now know with this bloody pandemic, things just happen that are out of our control and suddenly our lives are turned upside down. So we can't control that, but we can control how we respond to them and mm and how they make us feel there. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's such good advice. I think that's so right. I mean, you've just got to sort of write it and like just once you come out, like you said, those were the worst things you could have thought would happen to you. Well, they've happened to you and look at you, you know, like, yeah. you, you're like come mess with me world. Like I've gotten through that. I can get through anything sort of thing. And it does make you a heck of yeah. a lot stronger as a human to take on anything. I mean, don't get me wrong. I was like, you know, 2020, there's something magical about the energy of this year. It's going to be great. I was totally one of those people. And I'm just like, this is my year. Boosh. Yeah, this is my year, guys. It's all going to be amazing. And then the global pandemic happens. But, you know, it just, I think it's a really great reminder that we control nothing. Mm. Um, and so you've just got to find the sweetness and the madness, really. Hey, Sarah, thank yeah. you so much for your time and everything you're sharing with us and everything you're doing. Um, really appreciate it. And thanks for being so generous and so open with us. It's going to help a lot of people. So oh, thank you so much. 
Thanks for having me. And please, actually, I really, the last thing I want to say is if people haven't um, downloaded that pre-check mm. Breast Cancer Foundation app, it's really helpful for knowing. If you don't know how to check yourself, because I know a lot of people don't, I didn't, I didn't know the nine signs of breast cancer and I didn't really know properly the best way to check it you know, check myself out, then just download the app because it shows you and it also you can set up a little reminder, mm. which I think is, is really good. Do it. And the app looks really cute Catch as yourself. well. It's like they've done gone. It's, yeah, it's very, I'm very impressed with the aesthetics. It's very pretty. I know it is. And it's free. It's yeah. free. So you don't have to pay for it. So please just download the app and then spend an afternoon touching yourself. Yeah. That would be mine. <laughs> and one other thing I was going to say, how are you getting through this lockdown time? I mean, you've you've got to stay oh. away from people because, well, we all do. Yeah. Because your your immunity is not as strong as it, it normally would be after your treatment. So no. how, how are you getting through lockdown? Uh, pretty. Um, I mean, I kind of did a lot of this already last year, to be honest. This is like 2019 take two for me. Staying at home trying to not get sick. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, it's fine. I am uh, managing at home. I already have figured out how to entertain myself at home pretty well. And I still can go for walks on the block or, you know, up the hill or whatever. And my husband is the designated supermarket shopper. So he goes out and does that and then disinfects himself and tries not to catch catch the COVID. Um, but, But I think... Aren't we lucky that this is happening at a time when we have video calling, mm. we have Netflix, uh, me and Chris, who do the Empire Records podcast, uh, working on a new podcast. So we'll be whiling away some time doing that. I've got another friend who he's like, should we do a video call? And maybe we should come up with like a, a some sort of scripted TV show idea and we can write a script. I'm That's like, cool. sure, why not? Yeah. So I think just connecting with friends and looking at little projects we can do. That's but great. also I've actually put a lot of a lot of um thought into the fact that you don't have to do anything with this time. Yeah. So I'm also doing not a lot. I found a hammock in storage and I'm oh lying gosh. in that out the back of my house. Yeah. You know, like Are you watching yeah, or so, reading anything that people because I know people are all looking for what do I watch? What do I read? Are you watching something that you would recommend? For Netflix, if people want something really immature and you haven't watched Big Mouse, I would highly recommend it. It's animated but it's clearly for adults <laughs> and it's so so funny and I think it's a lot of things that people skip by because they feel like it's just another cartoon but it's not so that's great I've just um been watching Shit's Creek because of course it's the final season of that and that is like the ultimate feel good mm. so if people want feel good that's really good devs on neon um if people want something that's a little bit darker is really good do you read anything at the moment I mean it's no pressure if you're I not do. It's a thing. yeah no, no, no. Um, actually, I've, because I have been reading The Artist's Way, which is a kind of a book that's the book we were talking about earlier, if you want to kind of find your creativity again. And actually, it's the kind of thing that would be perfect for someone who's in a lockdown and is like, I'd like to be creative, but right now I'm just busy being terrified, if I'm mm. going to be honest. Uh, and I'm a little bit distracted. Doing something, doing The Artist's Way could be a really cool thing for people to do because it just slowly gingerly kind of gets you into mm. doing a few things that might rekindle your creativity again. Yeah, good. And eating, eating food. Eating snacks. Are you baking? Eating, <laughs> eating snacks, playing words with friends. Uh, I might make a banoffee pie later. Yum. Yeah, that sounds so good. Yeah. Why not? I know, I've a got... giant pie for... 
for two people. I'm like, oh man. <laughs> what else are we going to do? We're just eating our way through a pandemic. Whatever. It's all good. I'm contemplating being one of the 3 million people who have started a sourdough starter in the <laughs> last week. Might join that bandwagon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, thank you so much, Sarah. I know we just did like a, we did two, two goodbyes, but thank you so much. We obviously just wanted to keep chatting. So really appreciate it. Thanks to Breast Cancer Foundation NZ for making this episode of the Self Love Club podcast possible. Explore the signs of breast cancer, learn what to look for and set reminders to self-check. Download PreCheck from the App Store or Google Play today. Thank you so much for listening to the Self Love Club podcast. Please subscribe for weekly episodes and catch up on apps you may have missed. Reviews and sharing the Self Love Club with your friends and on your Instagram stories helps heaps in spreading the self love message. You can keep up with the Self Love Club at Self Love Club Podcast and at Belle Crawford on Instagram. Plus, find resources and blog posts on my website, bellcrawford.com. We've got heaps of boss babes coming up to empower you through the rest of the year with weekly episodes available each Monday. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.